Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. And so if you got your Bible, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to add it. Today really is kind of a bow that's been building for the last couple of weeks. And so if you're first time here, don't worry. We're going to jump right in. You'll be able to catch up. I'm going to try to bring you along with the important stuff that's there. But if you want to go back and catch some of that stuff, you can, you can catch it on our YouTube channel, on our website. You can do that. So um, I, I also want to be very careful today in how I present this because uh, let me first say it's going to feel like at times I'm talking about politics and I'm not talking about politics. That's why I love the timing of this message and just really walking through Philippians and letting it dictate it instead of, hey, it's October and we're in election season, let me present because honestly, this is not about politics. It's about how you and I as Christians, and this is where Paul's going today, how you and I can really make a true impact and a true difference with our life. I also want to be very careful because at times I may come across as a grumpy old man saying, get off my lawn, you kids. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm really just trying to bring this, I feel like, the way the Lord gave it to me. So Philippians chapter two is where we are at. We live in a day and a time where there is this reality that we face, kind of a condition. I don't know where the phrase comes from. I, I use it often. Maybe it's just the reality of, and here's the phrase, here's the term, death of a dream. Now, I don't know what life was like growing up for you. I don't know what your home environment was. Maybe you had a loving father. Maybe you had an absent father. Maybe you had a nurturing mom. Maybe you had a crazy mom. I don't, I don't know, right? Like your family could have been affirming. They could have been nurturing. There could have been a lot of stress and, and fighting. I don't know. So I'm not necessarily speaking specifically to you or about how you were raised. So some of this may not apply. Like it may not be relatable to you, but I want to just worry. I'm, I'm talking in a broader stroke of growing up as a kid in common modern America, okay, in what we refer to as the land of opportunity. In 1931, a, an author and a historian by the name of James Adams wrote a book called The Epic of America, and he popularized the phrase, the American dream. It's described as a set of ideas of democracy, personal rights, opportunity, freedom, liberty, equality, that our founding fathers included those principles in the founding documents, and all those terms, all those ideas come together to create this land of opportunity for success and prosperity for anyone, regardless of where you were born or what socioeconomic status or what income level you were born into. You are in a place that if you're willing to do the stuff, you can overcome all of those obstacles and you can achieve success, regardless of who controls what branch of the government. The idea behind the American dream is, will it be easy? No. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's not even going to feel fair. But if you are willing to put in the sacrifice, if you're willing to pay the price, to endure the pain and the struggle, you can utilize this special place, this dream called America, this land of opportunity for your good. Now, it feels like in 2022, it has morphed some. It feels like the American dream or the idea of that has changed. Today, it feels like many believe that the American dream is, I have the right to be happy. 
And that's not what the founding document said. It said you had the pursuit of happiness, but it's not necessarily a right. You have the opportunity, but what you do with that opportunity is up to you. But it, it kind of feels like, to, again, I'm trying not to be, get off my lawn, grumpy old man, but it kind of feels like today's American dream says, I have the right to have what I want when I want it. I have the right to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. And that's not the American dream. That's not the idea that James Adams wrote about in 1931. That is a distorted byproduct, and this idea of the American dream has lost its purity. If that makes sense, say, all right. Jerry works with a gentleman who was born in another country, but he's here in the United States, and at some point in their conversation, he made this statement, I feel lied to. Moving to America won't make you happy, but it should be a place of opportunity. Again, I don't know how you were raised. Many Americans, but not all, were told, you can be, you can do anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. I'm one of the fortunate ones. I grew up with a loving dad, nurturing mom, life-giving home, and I was, I was told that. And I think it's true. America is a place that if you're willing to put in the work, this is a place of opportunity. Now, I want to say it's highly unlikely that a guy of my athletic ability and height and stature, it's highly unlikely that I would have the ability to play in the NBA, okay? Not that funny, but all right, that's fine. No, I mean, just kidding, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Upon careful research in... Uh, Wikipedia, there is a list of 24 athletes, professional athletes, that played in the NBA that are shorter than this guy. 24, all right? Some of them are more notable names like Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson, or Hey Felder, right? It's highly unlikely that I would ever make an NBA roster. It's highly unlikely I would ever make a high school varsity roster, all right? But if you're willing to put in the work, pay the price, Along with a little bit of luck, this is a place of opportunity. And so many in America deal with the reality or the condition sometimes of the death of a dream. We grew up watching Disney movies with fairy tale stories, or, or even today with, with TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, like anyone or anything random can become viral for no legitimate reason at all. It's just dumb and millions of people are watching it, right? So somewhere in our translation, the American dream turned into you can be famous. You, you can have a lot of money. You really can be somebody. I mean, we've written songs about this idea. We've had movies and TV shows crafted around this idea. But then <laughs> sometimes that old Lasted love gets in the way, right? And so we, we trade those dreams and aspirations for marriages, minivans, mortgages, and dirty diapers, right? And, and this idea of my life is gonna matter can turn into a messy living room and a stack of credit card bills. And somewhere in that process, reality sets in that I was gonna make the NBA when I was in high school, right? Or, or I was gonna be the next US president, right? I, I do really have some good ideas. About if you want me to be your next president, like I just, I've, I've given this some thought. You know how Olive Garden, when you go eat there, they give you those chocolate candies when they bring your check? I said, somebody say amen to that, right? You know what I'm saying? 
Like, what if it was a national law that all the restaurants had to do that? I can get behind that, right? Now, I think you can make some exemptions, like Mexican restaurants can bring you Tums or Roll Aids, but, I mean, that's a principle, right? I think opening day of deer season should be a national holiday, amen? We have a national bird, we have a national anthem. We need to make hamburgers the national food of America, amen? I could compromise and go with tacos. Who doesn't like tacos, right? Peach cobbler ice cream should be the national dessert. Now, I'm probably not ever gonna get elected on these issues, but they are good issues. Not gonna be a famous actor, not gonna be a famous singer, professional athlete. And so maybe your dreams, well, your parents told you you could do anything. Maybe, maybe your dreams didn't revolve around fame or wealth, but it was this idea of, man, I, I just my life, I want it to matter. I want it to make a difference. But now that making a difference really is making a paycheck and you're nine to five locked in a cubicle. And somewhere in that process, disappointment set in. Somewhere in that process, death to a dream settled in our lives. Could be one of the reasons why depression is rampant and on the rise. Or maybe you feel like Jerry's coworker. You feel lied to. Paul has walked these Christians from the southern Greece town of Philippi through the process of how you go from getting saved to your life really mattering and making a difference. And by the way, you can take the vision of our church and you can lay it right on top of Philippians chapter two from verse 12 to verse 15. I and mean, we as a church, we wanna see people get saved. We wanna see people live in relationship with God. We wanna see people know God. But it just starts there. Just getting saved fixes your eternity, but your life on earth can still be hell. And so then we, we wanna help people find freedom from their past and even their present issues. And, and man, the Holy Spirit, and Paul talked about how the Holy Spirit comes in and he's empowering you, he's giving you the desire to get better, he's helping you do that. We believe everybody was created with a God-given purpose. We wanna help you discover that. And man, when you live in that, when you get to that place where your life really is on point and on mission for what God created you to do, you're living to make your contribution in your generation. That's what Paul's talking about from Philippians chapter two, verse 12, all the way to verse 15. We believe it's not only part of the American dream, but it's God's dream for your life that you have a contribution to make in your generation. It may not be in the NBA. It may not be president of the United States or famous actor or singer, but you do have potential. You do have capacity, ability to make a difference. And today, Paul's gonna tell you how. And you're gonna be mad at me at times because it's hard. You're gonna be frustrated because it's gonna be some stuff we don't necessarily wanna hear because sometimes it's not very fun. So I'm gonna back up. We're gonna kind of run and jump into today's conversation. We're gonna land at verse 14 and 15. But I wanna catch verse 12 and 13 that we've been grinding on for the last couple of weeks. Philippians chapter two, verse 12. It says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. If God has saved you, work out of that place of being saved. Like work hard at it, but you don't have to do it by yourself because he goes on to say, listen, for God is working in you. God's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and, he, and he's just pulling and he's helping and he's empowering you. Like so many times we're frustrated because we get saved and we expect to wake up the next day fixed. We expect to wake up the next day happy. No, 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 no. It is a process. 
And don't despise the process that God's walking you through. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing. And all the parents of teenagers said amen. You missed a good chance. I can't help you if you're not gonna, I mean, if you're gonna be golf clap church today, that's fine, whatever, right? So that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of Texas longhorns. Can I get an amen, right? Doesn't sound like very much fun. Don't complain and argue. <laughs> Clearly not been on Facebook lately, right? Like I thought the American dream Everyone and everything was supposed to do what I want so that I have the right to be happy. And then when you don't, when they don't, when it don't, then I get to complain and I get to post on Facebook for a Yelp review, right? And we're getting nowhere fast. And I'm not talking about the series in Philippians. I realize that. It's week eight. But, but as Americans, we're getting nowhere fast as the church we're getting nowhere fast. We're divided. We're depressed. We're arguing on Facebook with people we sat next to in biology class 27 years ago about who should be the next Supreme Court justice. And we're not getting anywhere. And the American dream is starting to feel like it maybe lied to us. And this is what's sad. Many times our disagreement is costing us relationship. I know. Get off my lawn. I know I'm that guy today, right? It's like, Brent, could you, could you try to be a little more positive? Yes, I'm positive. What we're doing is not working, right? And so Philippians chapter two, Paul is painting this picture of how the Christian life should work from getting saved to my life really making a difference and really counting for the cost. And that's all tucked into these four verses and we've been kind of chewing on it and today's the bow of what we've been wrestling through for the last two weeks. Like if you're saved, work out of that place and stuff. Like I wasn't saved by works, but I'm saved to do good works for the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit's helping me. He's empowering me. He's giving me this desire really to love God deeper. But if you want your life to matter, if you want your life to make a difference, you're gonna have to do things just a little bit differently than the world does. Because what the world's doing isn't working. The world's under the idea that Google reviews actually work. You know, if I go to a restaurant or a hotel and I have a bad experience, I can go online and leave somebody a critical review and the whole world cares what I think. They don't care. They eat at that restaurant anyway because it's Taco Tuesday. I don't know. They stay at the hotel anyway. They go to the church anyway. Paul is saying in Philippians chapter two, verses 14 and 15, he's calling us to a different way of living. If you want your life to make a difference. I think at some point for us as kids, we all had a dream that our life was gonna matter. Maybe it was to play in the NBA. Maybe it was to be an actor or singer or star in movies or whatever. But even as we've kind of processed the death of that, we still want our lives to make a difference. And Paul is saying, if you're going to do that, you've got to stand out. You've got to live differently than the world that surrounds you. So the title of this message today is called Living for Impact. Living to make a difference. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, I dove into the topic of Bible translations, right? And, and just kind of how we got there and where we're at. And I, I personally, 
I, I personally read kind of from my personal reading out of the New Living Translation. Okay? It's a relatively new uh, translation that's come on the scene. And I got my first one back in 2001. And so the first edition, that, that's the one I first started reading. And that's really the one that I fell in love with. I, I grew up like many of you on the NIV or the New King James or maybe New American Standard or whatever. But man, when I got that first edition New Living Translation, I just really enjoyed it. And then I got my second one because I wore the first one out and it, 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 I, like, they changed some stuff. What are we doing? You didn't, nobody called me. I'm leaving a Google review. No, I didn't do that, right? But I, I just really love the first translation. And, and so the Bible I do my morning quiet time reading is a New Living Translation first edition. It means it was printed back 2001, 2002. And it was my grandfather's that I think my mom and dad bought for him for a Christmas present. He passed away a year and a half ago, and I'm reading my grandfather's New Living Translation first edition, and I love it. And, and this is one of the reasons why I really like that edition, okay, because it tries to catch the essence. And this verse, Philippians 2.14, is a great example. I think they did a really good job of catching what Paul's trying to say. Most translations just say, do everything without complaining and arguing. That's good. That's powerful. That's true. That's hard, Okay. But the first edition says, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. That's good too. That's got some different context to it. So let's unpack that. And I think here's why they translated it that way. Because the original word do in Greek, the D-O, the original word is poijo. It's almost like poyo. You know, I want some poyo tacos, right? It's poijo, Okay. And it means the original word that's written, that crafted, that Paul used, do means to cause. I am going to do, take a nap today. I am going to cause that thing to happen. Can I get an amen, right? I'm going to make a nap. I'm going to bring forth my afternoon destiny. I'm going to fulfill. But that's what it means. To do something means to fulfill it. But that original Greek word also means to acquire to keep. So in everything you do, don't do complaining, but don't acquire it either. Like you might be in a conversation you don't want to be in. Somebody's just going to complain and complain and complain, but don't keep it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Right? That's the essence of this verse is don't be a complainer, but when you're around that, don't Keep it, don't acquire it, don't carry it on and, and spread it. Just like, stay away, you personally, but, but then stay away from that. Have you ever met a joyful critic? And keep in mind, the theme of this letter, Philippians, finding joy. How you and I as Christians can live a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. And I don't think I've ever met a joyful critic. And doing grumbling and complaining will rob you of your joy. And keeping or acquiring, not getting away from it, it's gonna rob you of living your life of joy. Here's, here's why. Here's why uh, when I'm critical, it kind of robs me of my joy. It's why how just grumbling and complaining can be so destructive in your life. <clears throat> Number one, 
And I didn't put this in your notes. You, these are extra notes. If you want to take these, you, you can. But it puts pressure on me to be perfect. Like if I'm gonna complain about how you're doing the thing you're doing, when it comes to my turn to do what you're doing, I've gotta now do it perfect because I criticize the way you were doing. If I criticize what you're doing, I'm opening myself up for someone else to gripe about how I'm doing it. So I feel this just, this given natural internal pressure that I better be perfect. There's nothing like, and I, maybe you're a golfer, maybe you're not, have played golf with people that feel like they need to coach me. I can certainly understand. Like I don't have a chance of making the PGA Tour either, right? And so I, my golf swing is probably about like Matt Snow skiing abilities. I mean, they're just common. And there's nothing like somebody who's coaching you. Yeah, well, you own your swing. Okay. And, and so I get up and, and the ball just kind of, okay, but I can see it. And then he gets up and, and it didn't even go off the tee box. You know what I'm saying? But so because he was coaching me, now there's this pressure for him to head up and hit the perfect shot. And that pressure kind of gets in his head and it doesn't. Or, or if you're swinging a bat and somebody's coaching you, oh, yeah, you, your hips ain't right. And then they get up and strike out. When I'm critical of how you're doing something, it puts pressure on me to be perfect. Jesus said, you want to make a difference? Take the plank out of your own eye. When I'm critical, it also puts me on the defensive. And I have discovered that when I'm on the defensive, I have to be really good at making excuses. Let me flesh that out. Like if you don't do a good job, it's because you're not able to do a good job. You're so dumb. You ever heard that? Oh, they are just so dumb up there. You don't do a good job because you don't see what I see. You, you didn't do a good job because you're just not good at it. But when I don't do a good job, I have a legitimate reason. My arthritis. You know what I'm saying? I, if I don't do a good job, I've got a good excuse. And so if I'm going to be critical, it puts me on the defensive. And this is what I've discovered about critics. They are great at making excuses. Sitting in my recliner eating Cheetos, criticizing the quarterback out on the football field, right? People criticizing me out on the floor for what I'm doing when they're not out on the floor doing what I'm trying to do. And this is what I've noticed about they're, they're, they're good excuse makers. And this is what I've discovered about excuses is excuses keep me from becoming all that God has for me to be. We have a motto at Hillspring, no more excuses. I don't want excuses to get in the way of us reaching one more person with the gospel. Complaining puts pressure on me to be perfect, and it also makes me defensive and, and makes me a really good excuse maker. I don't wanna give up my destiny because I'm really good at making excuses, amen? Arguing is kind of similar. He said, don't complain, don't, don't argue. If I'm, if I'm always arguing, then I always have to be right, okay? And if I always have to be right, I'm arrogant. And I, I don't know you can do a lot in the kingdom with arrogance because Christ calls us to humility. If I'm arguing, then I'm always on the defensive, meaning I'm a bad listener. And if I'm a bad listener, I'm not a good learner. I'm not listening to what you're saying. I'm just planning my next defensive statement. Does that sound like American politics by any way? If I'm arguing and I can't convince you by arguing, 
if I can't convince you to vote like I vote by posting really long rants on Facebook, if I can't convince you by arguing with you, then I have to escalate my words, which means now I have to live offended. The truth is, you're not really offended. You just don't agree. It's an absolute miracle that you and I can disagree and still be okay. Take Neil, for example. Neil thinks that Chevy makes a good pickup. I think he's wrong. Neil has the right to be wrong. He lives in America, right? I will say, however, a 16-year-old kid in Texas flipped his Chevy in a tornado and then drove on out might give some credibility to Neil's argument. Listen, when you go around arguing with everyone, it's costing you your joy. And you ain't changing nobody's mind. And you're also giving away your ability to make a difference. It's costing you impact. You like to argue? That, 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 that's okay. I just don't have time to argue. I'm too busy trying to chase down my dream. I'm too busy trying to chase down the destiny that God has called me to make a difference in my own generation. So I'm gonna take some of Paul's advice in all things I'm gonna stay away from. I'm not gonna keep complaining and arguing. Let me, can I coach you for one second here? I'm gonna give you some advice. You wanna write this down? You can. When someone comes to you to complain, when someone comes to you to argue, here, just, just, just write this down. We'll give you some words you can use. Say, you know what? I can certainly see where you're coming from. Let me, uh, let me take some time to think about that. Let me give that some consideration. Man, I hope you have a great day. Done. I don't have to argue. Man, I, I, I see where you're coming from. You probably experienced something I haven't experienced. I, I understand where you're coming from. Man, let me think about that. Let me put that under consideration. Man, I hope you have a great day. If I want my life to count, if I want to live to make a difference, what we are doing is not working. We have to change some things. And as you guessed it, there are three of them, right? Any sermon with BK is gonna have three or four things. All right, so here I'm, number one, I need to change me. I need to change me. And I've been talking about this for two weeks. Like I said, this message is the bow that Paul's tying on top of this process of what the Christian life should look like. When God saved you, and then he gives you his Holy Spirit, and it starts working on you. There's no overnight fix. Just because you prayed the prayer, you're not going to wake up tomorrow, and all your issues are going to be gone. There's a process. Don't despise the process. But if I want to be a difference maker, before I can change the world, i got to change me. Before I can change somebody else, before I can get people to listen to me, i got to change me. i got to take the plank out of my own eye before I can get the speck out of yours. I don't want to circle here too much because I just spent the last two weeks on it. But I got to begin by changing me. Number two, I got to change my approach because what we are doing is not working. Facebook in its infancy, 15, 16 years ago, or however long, it was intended for connectivity. It was intended for relational connection. Now it's basically vacation pictures and politics. So, Many moons ago, long time ago, not that long ago. Well, I was four or five years ago. Matter of fact, that wasn't that long ago, right? All right, so when I was four or five years ago, my mama was in the kitchen. And my mama, she's a strong woman. And I don't remember what I was in trouble for. It could have been a long list of 
a lot of things. I mean, it was just good. Um, I got in trouble. She's in the kitchen, and she sent me to my room. And as I headed that way, I'm down about three steps down the hall, and I stop, and I do an about face, and I go back into where she can see me, and I go, mm. and then I ran for my life. I almost died that day, my friend. Brother and I shared a bedroom. We had bunk beds. He slept on top. He kept falling out. And uh, I climbed up on his bed on the top and got as far over in the corner as I could and rolled my little body up into a ball where she couldn't reach me. She reached me. I have no idea how I got to the floor. I just know it hurt when I got there. <laughs> and at this point, she has two options. Number one, she can spank me. We were a spanking home. I wish my parents would have known what time out was. They didn't know. I still remember the sound of whop, 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 that bell coming out, right? Option one was she could spank me. Option number two, she could pinch my head off and tell God I died. And she really had to pray about it. I do not stand before you resurrected today. She didn't kill me. So she went strongly with option one. <laughs> I stand here today to tell you that action never repeated itself ever. I never stuck my tongue out of my mama ever again, right? Everybody say, I love BK. Couldn't even get first service to say, ah, like, like mm -mm, I know what's coming. If you knew, that means just kind of brace yourself. I really wouldn't walk out now because it looked like, oh, they mad. Don't, don't do that. It's not a good place to walk out. But I just, I just, it's really important that you confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart that you love me because it's about to get quiet up in this golf clapping, Babdecostal back row sleeping church. I'm just going to tell you, right? <laughs> we live in a generation and I'm clearly not talking about anybody in this room, but we live in a generation where when we were four years old and we were told no, we screamed at mama. And then we threw a fit until we wore mama down and we got what we wanted. And now those four-year-olds are now adults. God help us. God save the king. When we were four, we had to scream louder to get what we wanted. So now, when we don't get what we want, we just throw a fit and we scream louder. To quote the great theologian, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? It's not. Because we're divided. We're depressed. We aren't interested in solutions. We're only interested in winning. Somewhere we develop this idea that Compromise makes me look weak, and that's just not true. I think compromise makes you look wise. We'll never accomplish anything if we live in the extremes. We gotta, we gotta get down in the messy middle. And when you do that, the extremes are gonna criticize you. You're a coward, you're compromised. But it's okay, because I'm gonna stay away from complaining and arguing. 
There used to be a cultural practice. My dad and my parents would say, son, we don't talk politics and religion with people. It's, it's amazing. I remember that Democrats and Republicans could actually be friends. Baptists and Methodists could actually be friends. Cowboys and Sooners. No, wait, that never did really work out. That's a bad example. And now that's all we argue on social media is politics and religion. And it seems like we're four-year-olds that are screaming louder and louder, and it's not working. So we have to change our approach. How about we stay out of the extremes? How about we not use extreme fears? How about we not use extreme stories? How about we not use extreme emotions to try to get what we want? We're depressed, we're angry, we're divided. And here's the deal. If just one side was angry, that would make sense because the other side won and you lost. But that's not even real. No wonder they're angry. No, 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 no. Both sides are angry. So something is not right. It doesn't make sense. And it's costing us our joy and it's costing us our impact. And Paul says, let me give you a new approach if you want your life to matter. If you want people to listen to you when you speak, let me give you a new approach approach. Stay away from griping and complaining. Then he goes on to say this, that way no one can criticize you. Now, somebody's going to. We live in America, 2022. Somebody's got an opinion on whatever you're doing. Someone is going to criticize, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay away from that, right? I'm going to stay focused on the vision, right? So no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, so don't give them a reason. Don't be stupid, don't, don't give them a reason. And then we're shining bright lights in a world full of cricket and perverse people. So how about we not live like the world? The world's way is just escalating rhetoric, and that's not working. The world's way is just scream like we're four, and that's not working. We've lost our joy. We've lost our ability to bring change. We've lost our impact. Listen, if you don't gripe, if you don't criticize, if you live a respectable life, then you will be respected. And when you do speak, people will stop and listen. Because you're just not always static and chatter. Well, I think, blah, 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 blah. But if you, if you kind of be quick to listen and slow to speak, and you live a respectable life when you do speak, people, people will want to stop and listen to what you have to say. Let me be clear. Let me be clear. Because some of you are pushing on me on this. Like, clearly, he has not been on Facebook and seen what's going on in Washington. Right? Let me push on you just a little bit. Paul's not calling us to be cowards. Paul's not calling us to be pushovers and give up and let the bad guys win. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying quit and let evil prevail. That's not what he's saying. He's actually just calling us to the gospel and saying there is a different and better way than the way the world is engaging in these conversations. I have to ask you a really, really hard question. Remember, you said you love me. Really hard question. What is more important? that someone vote like you or someone be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is urging us to be people who don't argue, don't complain. And people aren't listening anyway. Be people who live like a shining light for the gospel. Be a person of character. Be a person of integrity. 
And if you do that, you take that approach when you speak, someone will notice. Someone will listen. Pastor Matt said this today, he goes, I don't think it's ever been easier to share the gospel. All you gotta do is just be nice to people because we live in a mean and angry world. So let's be different. Let's just be nice. And see if that doesn't open doors with people so that when something goes wrong in their life or at the right time, if the Holy Spirit moves upon their heart, that we have a bridge and a relationship and they come, how come you're so happy? Like, don't you have issues? Oh, dude, you see my wife, she's crazy. Like, yeah, I got issues, but let me tell you what, I've got something bigger than my issues. I've got Jesus and he's working in me and his Holy Spirit is just growing me. And I tell you what, man, I wake up every day. No, I'm not in the NBA. That don't mean I'd be happy anyway. I am just living the dream that God called and created me to live. Somebody ought to say amen. Go with me. Y'all to clap for Matt, but that's fine. Counselor says I'll be all right. Here is the problem with Paul's system. This doesn't bring about immediate change. It will work. It's in God's word. It will bring about change, but it has very little immediate impact on November election. But we as Americans, we like immediate. We got immediate coffee, instant coffee. Instant popcorn, somebody tried instant brownies, bless them, their heart was pure, but I don't think the methods were. And changing me and changing my approach is, is good and is necessary, but it's not going to bring the instant change that we as Americans are used to, so we need to change our focus. Because I think we're focusing on symptoms, and we need to get to the core issue. And we need to change focus. If you and I as Christians, we work out our salvation. If we let God work in us, let the Holy Spirit empower us, do what his word says, it will lead to a life of joy. And not overnight, like you won't say, Jesus, come into my life and tomorrow morning. I mean, there's good stuff that happens, but it doesn't mean automatically that all your problems are going to melt away. It just starts the process that Philippians 2, 13 talks about that the Holy Spirit's giving you power and working in you so that I can get to this place where I'm gonna make the gospel shine like a bright light in a dark night. But we wanna get right to the joy part. We, we, wanna, we, we wanna have the joy. How do I do that? What's the shortcut? Surely it's somewhere in the book of Obadiah. Sure, we, we can do that. We, we wanna be happy. And since we don't get that instant happiness, we stick out our tongues and we scream at mommy like we're four years old thinking that's what will make us happy and it's cost us our influence. It could be why the church is actually in decline is because the world around us absolutely is getting darker, but it could be that the church is starting to look a lot like the world that's griping and complaining and arguing and fighting. And I'm really trying not to be, get off my lawn. I'm really trying not to be that guy. I'm really just trying to point us back to scripture of Paul saying, there is a better method than what we're currently doing. So maybe we need to change our focus from the symptoms to the solution, the, the gospel. Maybe we need to focus on living like Jesus. The gospel says deny yourself. You do that, I deny myself, like I'm not selfish in my marriage, it's gonna change some of my marriage issues. If I'm not selfish and I, I want this, I want this right now, even though I can't afford it, I'm gonna rack up some debt, like it's gonna change some of my money issues. If we start loving and living like Jesus, who said, love your neighbor as yourself, 
That's going to fix some of your relationship issues. If I'm willing to lay down my life for a friend, that's going to fix some of the friendship conflict that's around me. It's going to do amazing things in your life. What if we put Jesus as the, the center and the priority in our homes and our family? And hey, baby girl, I know you only 11, but we're not going to listen to music that the only words I understand are four-letter words that begin with the letter F. Ain't going to happen. It's going to fix some of our parenting issues too. But this won't impact November elections. But it might change culture at home. That has a far greater impact on on how your children grow up. It might help you reach a friend. It might help you change the culture of your workplace. It's going to have a bigger impact than posting on Facebook, just saying. So Matt Chandler, pastor's down in Dallas area, great communicator, great theologian. He tells this story about a recent conversation he had with a journalist by the name of David Brooks. And David's an author and columnist for the New York Times. Stick his picture up here, you'll recognize him. He appears on Meet the Depressed, from, I mean, Meet the Press from time to time, right? So um, he grew up Jewish. Um, and a couple of years ago, rumors started to surround that David actually became a Christian. And so Chandler just happened to be in a group setting where David was kind of engaging with his group, small group, about 15 guys or so. And when it came Chandler's time to ask his question, he said, just connect the dots for me. How did you come here? How did you come to, to this point? And, and Brooks shared that he said, I had Christian friends. I grew up Jesus. I grew up Jewish, but I'd been exposed and had heard the idea about Jesus. He said, I even did a lot of my own reading and apologetics and my own research. But it was this sentence that captured the power and the essence of what David was sharing. He said, but when I saw the beauty in the life of my Christian friends, I knew something real was there. When the beauty and the gospel unfolds in our lives, when God's spirit begins to give us desire and gives us the power to that becomes beautiful. How beautiful is your life with the gospel? When a nationally renowned thinker and author began to see the beauty of the gospel being unfolded and lived out in his Christian friend life, that brought a nationally renowned person of influence to salvation. Meaning, it works. What we're doing isn't working, but God's way will. If you want to be a person that really makes a difference, you want to be a person that your life matters, you, you live with impact. I got to change me, I got to change my approach, and I got to change my focus to what I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.